0: Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts we actively wish for the dominance of the white race and that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact part of the problem is that to white people The ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it, and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege, where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching youtube lectures and documentaries we don't have one or two things to unlearn we have to reorient our sense of the whole picture that also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them a lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories which mainly relegate women to secondary characters in the last episode of our first season we talked about spike lee's 1986 film she's gotta have it and our discussion included mention of the white gaze which is just as important to keep in mind our western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless, universal insight into what being human means. The problem is, most of those stories are about white men. And that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity, because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, ''Oh, that's a story about a woman. I wouldn't know how to relate to it.'' Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable, who seems quote-unquote easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations, beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. I feel like I have a couple of things to say, but not that much to say about it.
1: I had the same thing. I feel yeah. like, well, this might just be a shorter episode then. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Which is fine because my energy is also not, like at some point I'm going well, to need We are rolling right now also. Are we? Oh, okay. Hi, listeners. Sorry. I'm like, yeah. All right, let's do this fast because I got to go to bed. I'm <laughs> an old lady. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen, And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are- She's Gotta Have It. Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's She's Gotta Have
1: have It! Exclamation
0: exclamation mark. mark. Holy shit, that was very coordinated for us, especially for Zoom. In which we talk about Fleabag, season two, episode two. Mm-hmm. So let's just, let's dive right in to what we want. What we want.
1: Excellent. And we have our first listener, what we want. Do you want to start with
0: reading that? Oh, I didn't realize you were, I'm, I'm looking for it in my, you have to give me, you, oh, no, you are, cut how, this out. Do you want me to go ahead with mine? Sure. While you look for it? Okay, perfect. Yeah.
1: I realized, remember when we had the cottage episode it hasn't aired yet but it will when you hear this teaser yeah ooh, the future but I had coined the term joy coma at the cottage and I realized a part of that was not having a plan with my day like truly having an open day and then really listening like what what kind of relaxing thing do I want to do next and it brought this real mind silence to me So after we got my grants done last week, and everything is finally in, and then I had that, you know, when you have a really busy time, and then right after when you have free time, I don't know how to relax. So I, I wasn't quite, and then I, this weekend, I managed to really get into a similar joy coma space, but in the city. And instead of going down to the water, like I did at the cottage, I would just put on my dog's little harness and go for like a really short neighborhood walk. So I just figured out a different way to kind of, yeah, get some outdoor stuff in. Um, and, and I was just thinking about all the different aspects of my life. And I realized I really just want more of what I already have. And I know we had that, we both kind of had that one before, but I really feel strongly about that right now. Um, Especially, oh, I think I, I can't really say too much about it, but I did get some good news in terms of an artist in residency uh, ship. I don't know what the term mm-hmm. is for that, that I really wanted. Um, so, having this funding lined up and having this really great opportunity in the future, and now having this, oh, and I, not now, and having this wonderful dog, well, I guess, honestly, now my wheels, my previous dog was a real handful, but I'm now living a lot of the stuff that I used to think about. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to like celebrate that. And then that also that I found the cottage joy coma quite easily at home. So I feel like I want to give myself a two thumbs up and to now, yeah, just try to figure out the best way to ease into and enjoy and keep doing small bites, um, in this new path for me. That's me.
0: Well, I'm glad the cottage was able to, uh, offer you that life lesson that now you've been able to re- replicate it's great once again i was i was scrolling so hard looking for the listener one that i was like oh shit what do i want i it's, it's easy for me though i want to write more comedy i really miss oh my god i'm not even anywhere near being a professional comedian i can't imagine how professional comedians feel but i miss doing stand-up comedy which makes it sound like i did it all the time but i I think for the last few years, I've done it probably twice a semester. Like I've done it fairly regularly.
1: I would say you do it quite regularly.
0: Yeah. And it's still, you know, not something that I'm great at, but I actually, I can't, like, I think the summer was a low creativity time for me because I was, I was in a weird fog of iron deficiency for some of it. And i was also just i mean the summer was very empty there was not a lot of structure so now that the fall's here i have ta jobs at ryerson so i have grading jobs they're technically technically called ga jobs but no one knows what a ga ship is so i'm grading for ryerson i'm writing my dissertation i'm um running a reading group so it just and you know the summer felt like it lasted five years for me and suddenly it feels like we're halfway through the semester and i don't know where it's gone And that's a wonderful way to be spending a pandemic because it makes the time go fast because I have all these deadlines rushing up in my face for the next six weeks in a way that actually will make the time go fast. Uh, Suddenly I I must be happier or something's happening or my brain is just turned on again because of this, uh, because I feel like I'm plugged back into the machinery of society. And just all of these jokes are just coming to me. Um, And it's been happening since the end of August and I'm like writing them all down. And I'm sure, you know, again, it's not like, I'm like great at this yet, but I'm just, I really need to know that I have like an audience to go in front of for the full joke to come out. Like I'm sort of not capable of really finishing the joke until I have that performative element, but I just, I know that I can get kind of two thirds of the way there on a lot of it. And so I'm really excited for, a year and a half from now when I can do that again, or <laughs> whenever it is. But I realized in even just trying to write down some of the jokes and uh, flush them out in my mind that I really miss it. And that I like it. And I want to kind of get back to that as soon as I can.
1: Nice. Yeah. Is- I will say it seemed like you were doing it a lot. Like I remember when you were yeah involved in all kinds of different different events. And then this just came to mind as you were talking, but Remember that photograph you took of Maria Bamford where she just was a big glow? Like you couldn't see any human elements of her? That made me laugh so hard when I saw it. So I just wanted to share. That's, um,
0: I mean, that is how I experience Maria Bamford. Like that is her com- comedy essence, is that it is just, she is just like so a kind bright. of like glowing orb. Yeah. I mean, So this was before I knew how to use my phone to take pictures. And it was also, it was like, the lighting is weird at comedy shows, right? Because like, it's so black and then the person is so bright and I, and they backlight as well. Quickly. It's
1: especially hard. I hear you. Yeah, but that yeah. was I mean, one of the funniest photos I'd ever seen, and I love Maria Bamford. So I was like, "Where is she?" And I was like, she, and then I was like, oh, that's her hair." It was. But an it almost looks like a special
0: yeah. effect, right? Like, like that she's like some angel in a film or something, because it's like, yeah, that. or
1: that she was so bright she like broke the camera. <laughs> um anyway aside but it's um yeah if you are on uh, lisa's social media you happen to see her one of the photos of maria bamford it is the most exquisitely bizarre photograph or it's like some old-timey photograph like photographing a ghost or something anyway
0: just (laughs) i thought of it when you're talking about stand-up sorry to get um off track but that that show that i saw her do was like i mean just it just goes with the photo it's like it was incandescent like it was just she was so good and her recent comedy special which is called weakness is the brand which i highly recommend Mm. um definitely came out of that comedy tour she did because a lot of the jokes she does in that come come into that show so i highly recommend it um i actually went to maria bamford's zoom comedy show a few weeks ago and it was great but like not the same at all like it's just you know comedy just obviously doesn't translate in the same way
1: and I will say to you publicly on the air after the pandemic, if you ever go see Maria Bamford again, now that I'm sitting more comfortably, I want to be your Maria Bamford buddy.
0: All right. Before Noted. Noted. No one else. No one else is allowed <laughs> to come with me. We can uh, take more people.
1: I just want to also be there. <laughs> okay. I don't want to limit.
0: All right. All right. Fair enough. Anything. We all we, we all deserve Maria Bamford. We all deserve Maria Bamford. Everyone deserves Maria Bamford it's true um i actually so there was a there was a this is turning into the longest preamble what we want (laughs) segment um there was a you you have to cut some of it down um there was a um a kind of uh lottery to be chosen to be on her show and, and seven people were chosen to be on her show and i believe there were three people on the the waiting list in case there was and i got onto the waiting list out of like 300 people And uh, I did not make it onto her show sadly, but I did get a free t-shirt that says Maria Bamford supports me on my journey. And I will take a photo of that and we can post it on our website. (laughs) And also I will be posting that to my Instagram.
1: Oh my God. That's a great shirt. I want to be in on that whole thing. (laughs) And I'll take a footy
0: is is what I want, but we should read this listener.
1: Yeah. Next, we have a listener who had written before and it went into the, she's got to have it junk mail. And uh, luckily they wrote back. And then this is actually the third email that we got from them, which Lisa is going to read is, is, is her, what we want.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to read an excerpt of it. This is um, Amanda J. Loyal listener. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, Amanda writes... Sorry to get meta here, but ironically, I'm not currently in touch with my desires. So I guess I want to know what I want again. I realized a few years ago that I could never tell if I wanted something or not. Back then, that was usually a matter of do I want to spend money on an overnight trip to an event to a nearby city or not until the occasion had passed. And then I felt sad and realized that obviously I had wanted to go, but it was too late. It became clear that I was dampening my desires in order to be less sad when they inevitably didn't come true. But that wasn't even working. So I started sitting down at my desk every morning and making myself think until I could come up with something I wanted. Eventually that became a habit and I started writing down one desire every morning, a habit I've since fallen out of clearly. And it really helped me to become more honest with myself. The fact that you guys do this on a podcast felt like a cool coincidence and it's one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. And uh, that, oh,
1: sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say that really resounds with me because I remember years when I was really depressed. I also had no idea what I wanted from small to big. And I remember being almost like jealous of, like I remember I was looking after a toddler and she knew she's like, I want these pajamas, not this. I want this sock and this sock. And I was really jealous of this, that she knew what she wanted. So yeah, that really just resounded.
0: Um, yeah I in my 20s for sure I found that I often didn't know what I wanted until after the fact if it was like on a date or something if I was on a date with somebody often I didn't know if I wanted them until I was alone and there are lots of reasons for that including like I found it difficult to bracket out the the pressure of what they wanted and separating that from what I wanted so you know developing healthy boundaries in your 30s is a thing and uh and I think it also reminds me of something we talked about, I think, with Californication, where it, it, it strikes me at certain points that Karen is convincing herself she doesn't want Hank because she does want him, but she's clearly disappointed by the fact that he drops the ball. Thank you. That's the drops the ball is the phrase I'm looking for all the time. And so she sort of talks herself out of wanting him, which is, um, I think, one of the narratives of, um, of that show. Mm hmm. And yeah, like just trying to, pretending that you, I remember bringing this up last winter, like pretending that you don't want something because you don't want to deal with how much you do want it. Desire is complicated, man.
1: (laughs) It, It is. Yeah, I think that's a very human kind of thing to do that if you want something a lot to push it away, I think it's, yeah, so interesting how that all manifests.
0: Because I guess when you think about it, desire is also really kind of vulnerable. And that's scary because it is scary to admit that you want something and then to not get it, not get
1: it. Yeah, it's true. It is vulnerable.
0: Yeah. Oh, look at us.
1: (sighs) Look at us, what we want. It is really good. And that (laughs) what the the listener had written that to have every, every morning, just think of one thing you want. I think I might start doing that to try to, uh, yeah, just be even more daily about it as opposed to when we Mm -hmm. record the podcast.
0: Yeah. And I like that we do this on the podcast, even though, you know, half the time we come up with like sort of silly things or abstract things. It's like, you know, all of it matters, like the abstract things, the silly things, the serious things. um, You know, I think we don't we we are very honest on this show, but like we certainly don't get super hardcore and uh, intimate about all of our desires. <laughs> Cause there's like, I'm sure a lot more we have that we don't share with all our listeners.
1: Yes. Like the one I shared right before we started recording.
0: <laughs> I <was laughs> like, like that wait, one,
1: let me tell you one thing first,
0: <laughs> because it's not appropriate to share on the podcast. Yeah. So this is like, it's just a thing that you need to kind of build up a practice of because it yes, is definitely. It is a skill.
1: And to celebrate it, not feel at all guilty or weird about it,
0: I think is also a huge part. Totally. All right. So let's move on to the episode. A flea bag. A flea bag. so uh you have
1: you have notes you have initial thoughts I do like we also said just before we started I feel like with this one I have a bunch of moments that I liked and it's still a very good episode I do guess I I guess the, the the thing that sticks out the most is I'm really big on things I haven't seen before I have never seen a priest character that's this particular kind of a mess It's really lovely so I guess that's my kind of overall thinking and yeah I think it's a really interesting sort of side sidekick for Fleabag.
0: It's an interesting kind of combination of traits right because often we think of Priests as being very somber figures and she has taken that kind of trope and turned it on his head in a way that he ends up being quite a lot like her, right? Like they have a lot in common and they're they're both kind of clumsy and they're both kind of inappropriate and they both smoke and they both swear. And it's just so, yeah, striking to me how unpretentious and um, endearing he is as a character.
1: And how authentic and honest in a really interesting way. And then with that really I think that's, again, another place where it is like Fleabag, but he's so insecure in these kind of up and down ways, and then lovely, and then really wanting and trying to be honest and authentic. So in a way, it really is like a mirror to Fleabag, but in a priest outfit.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and his social awkwardness is so comedic too just in his kind of physical clumsiness like when she's in the office with him and there's just papers everywhere and he obviously hasn't redecorated and then he like I can't I can't remember exactly what happened he spills the tea and then he shouts bastard like yeah (laughs) yeah he's
1: swearing and that was one of the actually one of the notes I had because he he wiped it up the tea with some kind of holy like vestment thing
0: yes and that's yeah. when he yelled
1: bastard um <laughs> but it seems so very authentic it's not like some over the top like monty python esque. yeah it yeah. seems very much like this guy somehow ended up in this job and he really does like like fleabag and he's really conflicted and he's trying his very best but in a really <laughs> authentic humble way yeah it's a really yeah. complex and interesting character and you just kind of end up like loving him or at least I do, um, because of that authenticity and vulnerability, I suppose. And then I guess to stay on the the, the church, and was, these yeah. are kind of the priest episodes, but just how it's th- it sort of starts with her over-the-shoulder amen, and then it has that, we had talked about in the last episode, the really almost like gothic religious music. I said I ended up loving the priest character- more than I expected to, I think because he is so authentic and vulnerable. Like, I think those are the two reasons why I think he's so appealing and yeah, that are often, yeah, I don't think I've ever really seen those two things front and foremost in a priest on a show. Yeah. Back yeah, to the
0: point, yeah. He's up at the front, he's like talking about his restaurant reviews. Like he just, he's just so cute. Cause he's like, he's like the new teacher who's trying really hard. But I have to say, to go back to like the, I think one of the opening shots where she's in the church and she's like staring at him, like obviously very lustfully. And also then like she gets distracted by the Jesus on the cross. Did you remember when we were watching I Love Dick and I talked about how when I was younger, I had a crush on Jesus and it's like, thank you. That makes me feel validated. Anyway, I think what I was saying was (laughs) before I was so rudely interrupted by my shitty internet, was just that uh, she clearly thinks that Jesus is hot and I feel very validated by that.
1: Excellent. Yes, many of my friends also thought
0: Jesus was hot and in terms I remember shocking sorry to interrupt but I remember shocking sure. a professor in the New School by saying that. I shocked a professor of at the New School for Social Research by saying that I thought Jesus was hot. Sorry, I find it strange that that happened, but anyway, so the fact that you have friends who like who also feel this way just I I didn't I didn't realize everyone felt this way. Nice, yeah, and then like we talked about
1: in I Love Dick, there was that one little scene about the young Jewish girl that was hot for Jesus Christ, which is exactly more interesting twist. Yeah, yeah, it just seems like such a perfect character to have in Fleabag. It's so well crafted. (laughs) My next note is that also it starts with that really heavy gothic, like sort of scary church music, which is sort of just somehow a perfect mix with the kind of priest he is uh that just makes it extra kind of funny in some way i don't exactly know why
0: yeah i i like i find it weirdly appropriate like i actually didn't find it dissonant at all i find that exactly, yeah and i can't quite explain yet why that is maybe as this as the season goes on it'll become clearer to me but I also just wanted to mention that it's like, once again, very, and this is not going to escape a lot of people, but just to kind of lay this out, she obviously has a thing for this guy in part because he's unavailable right? Yeah, in a, yeah, which is, I think a very familiar trope for a lot of people.
1: And I was going to say the one thing that did, that seemed a little bit inauthentic was her Googling. I know it wasn't Google because you can't use Google in films, but whatever search engine she was using, she put Catholic priest sex and it came up all abstinence. That is not true. If you put in Catholic priest sex, (laughs) it all comes up with porn. So that was, that was the one thing ever that I've ever seen in Fleabag that seemed like it was done for the joke more than the authenticity slash joke. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyway, <laughs>
1: that no, was a one of
0: notes, but as you were saying it.
1: Yeah. I remembered.
0: Yeah. And it turns out that really, truly in Catholic priesthood, there's no, I think she was looking for a loophole or something. <laughs> there's like, no, sorry. There's no loopholes, which continues to kind of entice her even more.
1: Yes. And actually one of my notes here is when she said oh this is lovely when she was pointing to him dressed in the robe but there is something so lascivious yet like still sweet of her saying it how she pointed at him yeah and then also the way she looks at the religious art <laughs> that's around she's like oh, oh. <laughs> it is all weird like i've had the same kind of reactions where i'm like why is that person naked sitting at that other person's feet looking at them like it has a weird mm-hmm. sort of sub dom kind of feeling <laughs> it. Yes. but her I was actually just thinking about the music thing we just mentioned a moment ago. I think it's because that music, while it's very dramatic, when you push it a little bit, it becomes almost like black comedy. So I think it flavors it nicely. Like the first time we heard it when it really was an awful dinner for her that kind of erupted her life, it was scary and dramatic and epic. But then now when it's got a different feeling, I think it makes, it sort of pushes it into yeah, a different thing. It's just my thinking about that.
0: Yeah, there's something right about what you're saying, but yeah. it's it's hard to put your finger on.
1: Yeah, because yeah. I agree, it feels like it shouldn't work, but it just kind of does.
0: Yeah, and,
1: yeah, um, yeah. Oh, and then so this is just in my notes too. And we uh, when she was in that meeting with him when he spilled the tea and yells "bastard" and gets the vestment full of tea. And then she says, oh, I don't believe in God and the picture falls. I don't know why, but that's also indescribably funny. (laughs) Yes. And uh, (laughs) I also remember having a similar thing when I was young, making some kind of comment like, oh my God, there's like no God or something. And then again, I think the light flashed and then some lightning flashed. And it is really (laughs) weird when that kind of thing happens. So anyway, but yeah, but it really did work. Um, in that case and also in his like little office it's also full of stuff looks like a yard sale that a picture pulled of <laughs> off the wall somehow also seems yeah. just like appropriate
0: well i mean it also just seems very petty almost that like god would somehow be so pissed at her saying that that he yeah. would just knock a picture of the wall right? exactly like, i guess that's um, like he's a child or something yeah <laughs> no way but i yeah it's very it's very 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 funny Is there anything else you wanted to say about that? Or should we move on to some of the Claire scenes?
1: That's my next notes are are Claire's polka dot shoes. I love how Claire's
0: feelings emerge in her clothing choices
1: it's so precious. And also it really works. Like you wouldn't, I wouldn't think on paper that someone as kind of wound up and as uptight as her would work so organically with polka dot shoes and a weird morph suit and
0: crimped hair. It's just so (laughs) amazing and adorable. And then, so what's the first scene? Are they at the stepmothers or are they at the cafe? I can't remember. The cafe I
1: think comes first.
0: The cafe. I have to just say that like Claire's obvious, like, intense discomfort with that man who comes up and is just trying to kindly say hello to her. No, no, I'm not, no. And she's just sort of shouting at him. It reminds me of how I used to be as a teenager when a boy would approach me that I didn't know how to say no to. And I felt like I had to, it would, my, my like, no thank you would come out so aggressively because it just felt so, I felt so panicked in that moment about being able to kind of gracefully articulate a boundary. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, Claire's, Claire's discomfort with her ability to articulate her feelings means that sometimes it just comes out as massively aggressive, right?
1: Yeah. I couldn't figure out why it was so funny, but it is true. It seemed like almost like hostile. And then also like, again, it was really well drawn out dramatically. Cause remember the fellow literally, it's like an old fellow and he literally was in her face, kind of leaning over her lap. Like it was an intense situation. And then with the, whatever chatty Wednesdays, it's literally built into what you're supposed to do. But yeah, Claire was so hostile. I remember she was even like, I don't want to tell you, I don't want to tell you. Like, <laughs> And yeah, yeah, I really think Claire is an extraordinary television character. I've never seen anyone
0: like her before, Mm -hmm. as well as the priest. Totally, so, so uptight, but so sweet and endearing at the same time.
1: At the same time. Oh, and I do have a note about that too, when she said, are you having an event? um and it's so mean like she sometimes is so they're so mean to each other but again it was it feels really real and balanced yeah and it's so harsh um and
0: it's, I, it's it's that it even is. as the
1: audience though I was wondering I was like oh something's happened yeah
0: yeah so. well exactly I mean I I feel like from from Claire's perspective I think it's it struck me as like genuine surprise so it does yeah. it does come out as cruel because she is so surprised but it's also sincere so I didn't think of it as cruel necessarily so much as just like deeply insensitive, like, oh, you're succeeding? Like, yeah. <laughs> but like in a in a real genuine surprise way. Definitely. Yeah. Um, whereas the stepmother, it's more like she's, she not only expects Fleabag to fail, she kind of takes some sort of weird sadistic pleasure in. That. Yeah. Yeah. And then oh. I think
1: that brings us to that portrait sitting. Yes. <laughs> at the studio. Oh. It's one of those scenes that when the mo- when the stepmom turns her actually physically around in the other direction, <laughs> it feels like it should be too much, but they somehow still make it work. <laughs> and I actually have seen stuff like that with siblings sometimes, where um, I had a high school friend and the parents gave one daughter like a computer and like a trip to Italy, and then gave the other daughter a pair of pajamas. Like you know what? Sometimes when yeah. you're just like what, and just the treatment
0: that you see. Oh, totally. And I mean, the thing is, is that you could here's what's funny to me is that the, the portrait that she's painting where Fleabag's facing away and Claire's facing towards like that actually looks like it would cool, be a cool painting. Like it looks artistic. Yeah. And so that's almost why you can believe that that's the choice she's making, even though it's obviously like a like a really passive aggressive um, move on her part. Obviously, Yeah, to just try to, like, cause emotional harm. (laughs) (laughs) And just, you know, and to kind of, like, uh, have Fleabag in the painting but have, like, her in the painting as little as possible by having her face away. And just, I guess, that being maybe, like, metaphorical for how the stepmother kind of wants it to be slash how Fleabag actually kind of has felt for a while in her family. Like, she does feel Mm -hmm. like the weird black sheep who kind of is a, a bit backwards figuratively and and now in the painting quite literally so
1: and it did make an interesting line and I will say actually this is an aside lately my favorite outfit has been my business onesie with a striped t-shirt underneath and running shoes and then I looked and I was like that's exactly what she's wearing and I didn't (sighs) copy her but I kind of love that outfit so just just her back with the striped shirt and the kind of like yeah, business onesie thing, it would make a good painting from the back. I kind of agree.
0: Wait, sorry, Fleabag's wearing
1: the onesie? Yeah, Fleabag's wearing, she actually was the same out, like the same onesie that she was wearing in the episode where she punches- uh Martin in the nose but she was wearing it with a t-shirt underneath as a more casual oh, okay it's
0: like a jumpsuit yeah, Jump so it's yeah I pajamas. call those business onesies because I guess it's like uh, yeah, okay it's- okay I think yeah I think a lot of people call them jumpsuits But yeah, yeah. <laughs> jumpsuit also still sounds to me like something a toddler would wear toddler so, would wear, so, so yeah. yeah and the the oh you have such a lovely thick neck, neck. which first of all like no sh- no her neck is definitely not thick but just again the stepmother's lines are just so you know she says it with a smile and it's just such a a huge diss
1: yeah and her neck is long and thin so it's literally like she's just said it opposite and seemed to take pleasure in it and this almost absurd cruelty and my next note is about that lawyer that her mm. sister takes her to.
0: Yeah, the one who. What? Sorry, the preamble to that guy is that he defends rapists, and Fleabag <laughs> says so. He's got a high success rate right then, and Flinclair says, um, "Yeah, like a hundred percent or something," which I think is just yeah. a quick nod to the fact that, like, you know, despite despite all of the Me Too claims, uh, rapists still tend to not be prosecuted or convicted.
1: Yeah, no that's a good that's point. Just- And it's interesting it seems like black comedy but it's kind of the truth yeah hence black comedy yeah and then that character i thought was so interesting and now that i'm thinking of it in relation to this aspect because now he was like so cocky and full of himself like literally his eyebrow was like one eyebrow was up the whole time like he was so pleased with himself and pleased with his sandwich and pleased with his mayonnaise all over his face and, and then so flirty, I did think that was also a very interesting character. And that actor was really good and made it seem really real.
0: And I love uh, the internal narrative uh, or internal monologue of Fleabag trying to decide whether her sister has slept with this guy or not. And meanwhile, he's he's so gross. Like, he's yeah. so creepy. And it's like, oh, God, Claire, you could do so much better than... I mean, because then you think about her husband, Martin, who's not much different, but... Uh-oh. yeah it's true
1: mm-hmm. yeah and then my next note is about that therapy session which oh, was so session.
0: funny so um, funny
1: so 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 funny um and uh, not at all that funny or like that but I have had like before I found my psychiatrist I mm-hmm. had a few sessions like that where people are just that such different wavelengths but this is just a genius one. (laughs) Yes
0: yeah and and the experience of of talking to a therapist who's on a different wavelength from you can I mean I've yeah I have felt a bit like I mean I remember um, I started I think one of the first times I really sought out therapy was when I'd first moved to New York City and I had a nervous breakdown and the, the um, I had an undiagnosed at that point, anxiety disorder. And the therapist I went to see um, was, I mean, she was picking up on something because I didn't know what to call it. Right. So it's not like I was hiding it, but I did also didn't know how to explain to her what was going on. Mm. And I remember just having this session with her where she's like, are you angry? And I was like, no, <laughs> she was like, are you sure? <laughs> I was like, yeah. and and she was like maybe you're angry at me and i was like what's going on like this is not at all it sort of just felt like leading the witness and also just she was i mean she was picking up on something she, she could tell something was off but she was picking up on the wrong thing and it's like i'm getting angry at you because <laughs> yeah. there's a line of questioning because you're not believing me but I mean, you know, in fairness to her, I was incredibly angry, but not at her. And I also just didn't realize it. Like, I think I'd been going around feeling so angry for so long. I didn't register it. Yeah. So, but yeah, just the way, like she was just, I mean, I don't know, like either she wasn't a fit for me or she wasn't a therapist or maybe a bit of both. And uh, yeah, it was a very awkward several sessions with her before I had to move on to somebody else.
1: Yeah. And, and my next note is just because she's her line, the other therapist not the other. The therapist says, mm-hmm. "Good not to make jokes," and that's literally like in terms of Fleabag's entire life and lifestyle. <laughs> for someone to sort of say that right off the bat, yeah, yeah feels like a really well set up
0: but organic, uh,
1: yeah, thing. And because
0: moment- it is a thing that, can, like you know, jokes are a way of deflecting. For sure, yeah. and Also, it's, it's also just the absolute humorlessness, humorlessness of that therapist. Exactly,
1: and I do think that that is like seventy-five percent of her problem. But just the yeah, mm. the 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 black and whiteness of it, and then yeah. good to not make them. It was I don't know. It just is so funny, and mm-hmm. it really summed. It was very funny. And then the clarifying moments, remember when she said, oh, well, sex never goes anywhere. and just shows Boo for like half a second before she crosses the street. Um, And as we know, that's when she gets hit by, by I think a bike in a car and dies. But the moments, the clarifying moments are heartbreaking, but the actual way it's told is so humorous. I just love that. Um, I think that, yeah, that's just my absolute favorite
0: kind of moments. And the very, like, it's very fast juxtapositioning, which, you know, also makes me feel respected as an audience member, because it's not trying to, like, slowly spoon feed things to us. Mm. Like, it's, like, sometimes really fast cuts back and forth between, like, her memory, which also is just sometimes how you experience emotions like that, right? Because she might have a memory that starts to come up and she's pushing it down as fast as she can because she can't deal with it. And so in a in a way it's like, it's it's got an interesting aesthetic effect for us as the audience, but it's also evoking her real internal. That's
1: what I feel like. Those are like trauma responses. Like you can't yeah. keep it away and it comes in weird ways. Like she sees a pencil and then she remembers the pencil situation with the hamster right. in her episode. But yeah, no, I think that's why it works because you sort of you do feel like I've said before, like you feel like she takes her hand and takes you through her psyche with you. Yeah. Her psyche with you, with her. <laughs> and uh and it's true, it is respectful. Cause if you literally are having a snack or you turn around, you can miss a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really wreck anything. But it's I think that is a respectful thing. So it's not overly laid out. Yeah. I find now if I watch the sort of average Hollywood thing where plot points are overly laid out, I feel Mm -hmm. very offended.
0: (laughs) And also just bored. Yeah.
1: And bored. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh. And then my next note is that this was just so funny and this is exactly what we talked about. It was her feeling uncomfortable and she made it into a joke, but she said, I'm very horny and your little scarf
0: isn't helping. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, she keeps saying that and I keep being like, what is going on with the scarf? But yeah, it's so yeah. funny yeah
1: i think it's even just li- your little scarf isn't helping i don't know why it's-
0: yeah <laughs> like she she also just can't help herself but flirt with everyone exactly yeah it's like it is pathological but also just yeah to, again a deflection technique
1: technique exactly and then you, heard, you know we, we always say to laugh that off, and you heard me just laugh about that little scarf because that was so funny and then another thing that made me laugh out loud in this episode was when she because remember then she's she's like i understand so the psychiatrist actually at the end they do bond not in the way that is sort of expected but a little yeah. bit yeah and then she said so you want to fuck a priest and then she then the psychiatrist says, are you sure you want to fuck a priest or you want to fuck god and then she said can you fuck god and then this is when i laughed out loud oh yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i was oh, gonna bring maybe. that up too
0: yeah yeah. And
1: yeah, it's so funny. And you're like, oh my God, she's been fucking God on the raid this lady. And then you have a different respect for her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I do have another point back to the priest, just another moment I really liked when they go to that church kind of yard sale or church
0: event. Yeah, like, a, like a tiny fundraiser or something. Fundraiser or something, yeah. yeah, where
1: Fleabag goes to flirt with the priest. And that seems so high schooly, like when- yeah. you like someone and you go yeah. just do whatever they're doing which is but it was it was endearing and cute
0: um, right, and you're just trying to find excuses to see them right yeah so. exactly
1: And again, this is so refreshing, but when the priest goes, oh, I don't know how to talk to babies and literally didn't even look at the baby. I think that it's so funny because you never see it. And people normally don't say that because it offends like 90% of the people in the world when someone speaks like that, even if it's totally reasonable, like people can say, I don't, I don't like your dog or I don't like cats, but you just, if you say, I don't like babies or kids, it's not well-received.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So really refreshing.
0: Yeah, Totally
1: as well and then i did have a note that martin who is i talked about this before like how i love how he leans into the creepiness how he leans into that awfulness this is like takes another cake somehow this scene at first i thought he had on just a suit jacket with no shirt like somehow he just (laughs) took creepiness to this extra level um, but he had a bit of a black eye still, or from something Yes. Else.
0: Yes. No, um, from her. Yeah.
1: It was still from her. I've forgotten if it was, oh yeah, that was the year I was, thought, yeah, it's the year, like the punch happened. And then it was right after that. It wasn't the year, uh, time before that, but yeah, he seemed even meaner and with the black eye and then his hair looked sort of greasier and his jacket was huge. Like yeah. it looked way too big on him. Anyway, I just have to say actor who plays Martin two thumbs up. For yes two
0: thumbs up for his ability to enact creepiness yeah Uh, oh for sure and it really
1: is a leaning in because there's lots of people that play in that way and they always have a little tiny bit of nudge nudge i'm not this person he looks like he's living and breathing (laughs) that person (laughs) yes yeah and I've really wondered, cause I'm sure he's a nice guy. And because he always looks so creepy, I'm like, does he walk around in the world looking like that? And I feel like I'm sure he doesn't wear oversized suits, jackets and like slick his hair down. No, yeah. So anyway, you know, at some point I want to look him up because I just feel like I'd be curious.
0: And yeah, look up like an interview with him. Because it's like, what does this person look like when they're being a normal human being? Yeah. Uh, Well, I, I mean, that's also a tiny bit how I feel about Andrew Scott, who's the guy who plays the priest, because in Sherlock, he is incredibly creepy as Moriarty, right? He is just like such a weaselly little like wormy creep who's just super sadistic and just like constantly taunting Sherlock. Um, and in this like I when I first saw him I was like oh okay like you know I get that like you know British actors are in everything like it's like I mean I guess it's like that in Hollywood too for some reason I just notice it less because I guess the British community is even more is even maybe smaller or denser or something when I saw him in it I was like okay and this will be interesting and I did not expect for Andrew Scott to be able to make me fancy him And I fancied him so hard in this season.
1: Yeah. And actually, if you mentioned it, I didn't put it together. I didn't, because I've seen Sherlock. I didn't realize that was him. But until you said it right now, and I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. He really leans into it as
0: well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, but in this, in this series, is just such a, like an adorable hapless and yet he, like, he's hapless and also kind of like sexy. Like he's like like and hapless is maybe not the right word, but yeah, awkward, right? Like he runs up to her at the end. He's all sweaty and he's like, "I need the coconut back." It's
1: like, I know, and then, then he's just... like, and then he gives her like a, a Bible too, which yeah. seems like such a weird misstep. And even she's upfront about it. She's like, "Oh, I don't think so." And then. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And even just then he said, you know, like his G and T is from Marks and Spencer's like, do you know what I mean? Like everything, like, I don't know. There's just some adorable nerdy twist, but he does seem a bit like a badass, at least for a priest somehow too. Yes. Yeah. Authenticity is like this new punk rock. I think there is something about that that makes it feel like he's like a bit of a bad boy. Cause he seems like he would say anything.
0: Well, I think that, I mean, I think we've talked about this with respect to Fleabag but he, despite the fact that he's a priest, there's an irreverence to him that's very interesting. Yeah. Like with the, oh, you know, I don't know how to talk to babies. And, oh, when he spills the tea and he's like, oh, bastard. And he's mopping it up with, the, like, you know, like, it's just, he obviously takes God, like, and his relationship to God very seriously. We learn this as the as the season unfolds. But he doesn't, He he's not self-serious. So he doesn't take himself very seriously. And he... He doesn't um, seem to think that he needs to fit a certain mold to be a priest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think that that's, so it's like he's not a rule follower in a thing, in a, in a, in a thing, in a job that is very rule follow Yes. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Because this is kind of like a weird analogy to make, but like, uh, you know, my, I'm sure there are loads of cool priests out there. Uh, I have not met a lot. Of them and I, the last priest I really have a memory of and so I guess this is why I'm bringing it up is because I like just contrast so starkly is the one who ran my father's funeral who like that guy was a dick like he was just so arrogant and self-serious and just like was like not very warm to me and my mother I kind of felt like he thought he was doing as a favor cuz the church can be picky about when they do funerals. Like it was this whole thing and I like look back on that day and it was like full of such like warmth and support by family members, but I think about that priest and it just pisses me off because like he didn't ruin it or anything, but I just certainly didn't feel like um supported by that dude on that day. And it's like that's literally his job. Yeah and it just felt like he thought he was supposed to be like the star of the show as is actually in retrospect how it felt <laughs> it's like now that i say that that sounds so absurd but that is exactly how it felt
1: yeah well i do think they have you know they don't have to pay taxes and there's all these things i do think it gives them this power do you know what i mean like as a church and as someone running a church that can be
0: easily make yeah. weird yeah yeah so anyway, I, I just, sorry, remember- if that priest is listening to our podcast, I suspect he isn't, I'm not even sure if he would remember me. But like- well,
1: I will throw this in just because it When as you were talking, I re- was reminded I did go to, and this was actually a pastor because it was Lutheran. But when I was little, my parents sent me for confirmation classes mm-hmm. and I went to a couple and they, i said i wanted to be an actress and he said that's a sin and then i like boy george and he was like that's a sin and i was like <laughs> and then i was asked to maybe not come back so i was like no problem
0: <laughs> so not a priest not impressed yeah i mean like if i'd known a priest like the, the guy in this series i yeah, would have been like much different, this is much very different. cool yeah but, uh, but that's not, it's <laughs> not my experience. But it also
1: seemed a little bit like random. And then also this church was in Kensington market, which is not close to where my parents lived at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, I should walk to church because God gave me legs. So he had really like strange ideas. I was like, you made a walk all the way across the city as like a young mm-hmm. teenager. Anyway, very strange ideas. It's fun to think that I was kicked. I'm not really a badass, but I was technically kicked out of confirmation class.
0: Yeah. Yes. Good for you good for me me. (laughs) yeah all right i think that's all my thoughts that's
1: the end of my notes as well i feel like it was another tight episode that was not not at all filler but just this really bunch of excellent moments that took you deeper into the fleabag universe
0: absolutely and i'm excited to see where her uh relationship with this priest goes
1: me too i haven't i mean i did watch ahead originally but i don't really remember so i'm really looking forward to uh yeah moving ahead and remembering awesome excellent
0: now that we've said Seven. it we've gotta right. get it whoop, whoop. <laughs> that was pretty good
1: Here I